Well, I want to introduce them a little bit more if you didn't meet them last week. Our message today is a part of a seven-part series on um, well, today's restoration, and it's been all about the seven stories that shape your life. We took a team to France this summer, and uh, this was kind of the, the, the material of sorts that we delved into together as a group. And this couple have, uh, they've been at Bless or Bethany House in, in France, in Normandy, for many years. It's Anna's parents that run, that run Bless, but uh, it's interesting. They both come from very strong ministry families. They're both PKs. Any other PKs in the house? What? Is it there, that many? Well, most of you guys need deliverance. So after, <laughs> after service, they've got a double anointing because it comes from both sides of their family. So they would love to pray for you. And, uh, and so we thought it would be um, fun. They, they partook in, in, in helping lead and guide us through really what was a spiritual retreat in France this summer. And so today as we close the series, we thought it would just be really um, advantageous. They're here for a couple of weeks, praying in the many things and uh, suffering from our food a little bit here and there. Um, but but uh, we just TMI. asked them to, uh, to share just a little bit of their hearts, maybe on this topic or what has stirred just a little bit about their story so you can also get to know them a little bit. Morning. It's good to be here again. And uh, yeah, I, I, I guess keep it brief, but um, like Christian said, we both grew up in, in ministry homes and uh, which had such a uh, wealth of blessing and richness to it. Um, and challenge as well. And uh, so we got married in 2013. And uh, I guess in the, the years that we've been married, the Lord has just been uh, stripping back the layers of walls and uh, stuff that can either we ourselves have put up or life puts up, the stuff that gets in the way. Um, and really with this one thing of not, we're not willing to compromise on intimacy with the Lord. And it feels like that's, like David said, this one thing I seek, that one thing I set my heart on to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And it feels like we've been on quite a wild journey in the last couple of years of inner healing and getting free and, uh, and also trusting the Lord like for provision in radical ways. But it's all felt like it's been under this banner of Come close. Do you trust me? Do you know me? And I've been reflecting a lot on this, the, the, the verse, you know, we go from one degree of glory to another, which sounds wonderful, but you can't go from the next degree of glory without being stripped back. And you can't go into that place without uh, being willing to be vulnerable and to face the, the pain and, and brokenness or whatever your story is. But the beautiful thing is that next degree of glory. You don't, God doesn't just strip you back and leave you down. He, he builds you up. He restores you again. Um, do you want to say anything? You do. Um, yeah, I guess just a bit of context. Um, that, yeah, we both grew up in ministry families. A lot of that was great, but it actually wasn't very glamorous, to be totally honest. And, and actually, the, the stripping back for us has been about uh, walls of guilt, of shame, of, of false identity that comes through what people put on you. And like there have been different seasons of that in both of our lives. And we had, we had, we, we interestingly had very different experiences of ministry, but so together we had, we had some baggage. 
um, but um, yeah, so there was a season in my life when I was a teenager where I experienced abuse in church, and my dad was the pastor, so that was obviously not okay. And um, and with within a leadership context, um, we experienced a lot of. I experienced as a result of that a lot of perfectionism a drive to perform. And I think that I'm saying this because obviously we're trying to keep it really brief, but it's a really long story that we could unpack for like an hour. But I just feel that actually sometimes we, that's just everywhere. It's all around us. We bring that in a, into every environment, a feeling that we have to strive to perform and to bring a certain, certain aspect of who we are or to project it. And it's in every church context. It's, it's everywhere. And actually what God's been doing in us is, is stripping that back, stripping back the layers of shame and guilt, of false identity, of perfectionism, of striving, because there is no striving with God. So we don't have to perform. And he's brought so much healing, like in radical ways. And then in just like the long journey of actually just being open about what's really there and dealing with it. And so he's brought, and he's brought amazing healing in our marriage and in our family. And I don't know what else to say. Do you want to add? Yeah, just to add to that, on the healing front, it's been um, uh, moments of radical supernatural encounter uh, where um, it, it, even in Anna, Anna has a vivid dream life where Jesus appeared to her in a dream and healed her, a very physical kind of radical healing. But then also the everyday grind of just staying faithful, reading the word, reminding yourself of who you are and walking that out. And I guess my encouragement to anyone in that place is like, it's both and, and push in and commit to both. And God will bring that breakthrough and bring that healing. Amen. Amen. Amazing. Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, we just pray? Please pray. Yeah. So Jesus, I just thank you for uh, this space and for everyone that is here today. And Lord, um, every single one of us, uh, without a doubt, struggles uh, in different areas with um, striving, with perfectionism, with projecting a certain image, um, with feelings of guilt or shame, with areas that we haven't really unlocked or brought to the surface with people that we trust. And so we just uh, release your healing today over this room and just any areas in our hearts that we just haven't brought, brought into safe space but we haven't brought before you, Lord, in the secret place or even with someone that we trust. We just call those things out and we just say that there's safety with you, Jesus, to allow truth and to allow healing and to allow, um, yeah, just those layers to be stripped back. Yeah. And I just thank you, Jesus, for the work that you're doing in our lives and just bless it and bless each person here in whatever, whatever place we are in that journey. And just bless that intimacy with you to, to um, increase for our roots to go deeper. Yeah, Father, I just want to say thank you that the journey of restoration uh, means, means more. That being restored is more than before, God. That uh, you don't, it's not even like you just fix things and leave us, but you give us more, Lord. You give us uh, an increase and a, uh, a fuller life, a f life in its fullness. And so, Jesus, would you just breathe your Holy Spirit on every heart that needs a touch from you this morning, we pray. And breathe fresh hope in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Beautiful. Thank you guys so much.
Um, I encourage you guys to, actually, let me switch. Can you put this one back behind me? This one has more slack on it. Thank you. Um, just encourage you guys, if before, I think they head out Tuesday, but um, this will be their last Sunday here. But an incredible couple that I think embodies what it looks like to pursue intimacy and the rhythms of God on earth. They, they have pursued their own restoration and healing, and they pursue what it looks like for a community to pursue those things. And uh, it's been something of the beautiful kind of communion we've had with the team in France that we've gleaned from them, I think, is it, it's a continual reminder of how do we dive in to the place of restoration, a place of healing, a place of intimacy with the Lord. Uh, how does the rhythm of daily life, how does the rhythm of the long term, how does the, the story of Scripture all play into that? It's profound, and there's nothing more significant and important than us taking, taking that uh, journey together. Um, so, but before I get into kind of trying to pull that message together um, fully, I just want to say last week, thank you again so much for those that were at AeroFest and uh, that were here last Sunday. It was such a pivotal and profound day. Georgian, um, those of you that, that know him from the past, what a, what a character on so many levels. I don't know if uh, anyone else on earth walks the planet quite like Georgian does. And uh, some of us, it was maybe the, the fifth, sixth, or seventh time hearing that wonderful message that he gives to this house um, on the vulnerability of young family. Um, but there, there's something as I was reflecting how um, a, a father of the faith like him just doesn't change the subject sometimes. Um, maybe at times you're, you're not sure, is this, um, does this grandpa know that he's given us this message already? Um, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. All I know is, is that when he, when he releases something to a, to a church like us, something shifts. It's so profound and so beautiful. Um, and at the same time, I want to reiterate what his heart is. Uh, we've gotten to spend multiple meals and, and times with him over the year. What his heart is isn't just to, to speak to young families. If that isn't absolutely clear, let me make it clear, because that's his heart, and he, he repeats it over and over and over again, at least in secret. It's that God's heart for the young family is to show God's heart for vulnerability. And when we as a body take hold of God's heart for the most vulnerable among us, we get God's heart for the vulnerability that you carry in your singleness, in your brokenness as a grandparent, as a teenager, as a college student, as a young professional, whatever it may be. And so as we continue to build and to grow as a body, um, the, we're not for sure not just a young family church and not just focusing on that. But what God is teaching us as we can't ignore the vulnerability of young families is that that teaches us something about what our father is like. And it impacts every single one of us, and it gives purpose, need, direction for every single one of us. Can we say amen to that as a body? Amen. Amen. Okay. So I just wanted to make that abundantly clear and just, and just to say something shifted last week. I mean, something went from zero to 100 in that ministry time where I don't even, I need to process it before I tell you what I feel like happened. <laughs> It's, it's uh, sometimes those moments are so holy and profound you don't know what to do with them. And so what I've learned is uh, don't say anything <laughs> until you figure it out. So I'm not going to say much. But I will say much today about this message. And if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, um, I'm actually not sure the first scripture I'm going to go to. Maybe go to Mark 11 first, and uh, we'll jump in, and hopefully I will uh, be as, as uh, efficient as possible. Um, so as... As John mentioned at the end of his prayer, this concept of restore more than before. The story of God that started in the garden 
we have misconstrued much of that story over human history and Christian history. The reality is, is that in the garden, what was compromised was this intimacy of trust between us and the Father, where we took on shame as humanity and said, God, you cannot look at us. Don't look at me. I'm naked. God did not accuse us of our nakedness. God clothed us and gave us a picture of covering us and his desire to see us in our nakedness, but we didn't want him to see us. And so the great story of Scripture is the main character, God, who has this concept of intention and obstacle. The obstacle being, how do I get these people that I love to trust me again? And, and the, the intention is, how far will the main character go to get what he wants? And that reality is meant to be seen ultimately throughout Israel's history, but into the person of Jesus. How far will he go? Jesus is supposed to be showing you how far the Father will go for you to be restored into intimacy and trust and that relational, beautiful, all-consuming, forever-impacting reality. So that's the story that we enter into. And so we've, we've gone through all these different elements, creation, vocation, liberation, formation, so on, and today we're ending in the concept of restoration. And so the reality is, is that we had this original commission as people in the garden, which was what? Be fruitful and multiply, which you're doing better than most, my friend. I didn't do so bad myself. Um, but it's, it's not just about kids. It's about every element of life. The land became a big image throughout Scripture that the land would multiply and bear fruit, despite the fact that it was under a curse. Israel still had this groaning for the land to respond to God's promises. And so we also live with this reality that Jesus broke a curse, and yet we still live in tensions between living in the fulfillment of blessing through Jesus in a, in a world that is still living out a curse that has been broken. What is that? What that is is the fact that the way that the Father has chosen to unleash a broken curse is by sons and daughters realizing who they are under the authority of Jesus, going and declaring to the land, to creation, that your curse is broken. The curse cannot feel its freedom. The people of, of this planet will never feel its freedom unless the people of God take hold of their authority in Jesus to remind the earth that it's no longer under a curse. And so that's a big deal. And so Jesus did not come then to get us back to the garden. He came to get us forward to a city. The new Jerusalem, Revelation, heaven on earth. The whole picture that John gives in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, is a new city. Not you getting to get rescued and go to heaven up in the sky to live for eternity and have nothing to do with this earth down here. When we take that as what is happening in the story of Scripture, we miss what Jesus was supposed to be doing, and we miss what we're supposed to be doing here and now. And the reality is, is that what, what you are going towards, or, or in other words, what you are going to go through versus what you are moving towards in life is a big difference. So you're going to go through some stuff in life. I, I can't stand some of the stuff that happens um, oftentimes in the, you know, the charismatic Pentecostal uh, streams, where we, where, we, where we sometimes talk and emphasize so much about the blessing and the prosperity and so forth that we don't really fully know what to do with the struggle. 
That's why the, the exile message is so important. Because the reality is, is that the promise isn't that you're not going to go through anything. The promise is as you go through stuff, what are you moving towards? What are you moving towards? Even just the, the simplicity of stress, stress about a job. I heard Jeff Bezos re recently say that the re reality of stress is simply that you feel stuck on a topic, on an issue, and you don't know what to do about it. Is that not any different than what's happening in the entire world momentum and that you're a part of? Is that when we realize what we're moving towards and we feel like we have some element of a place in God's plan to restore all things, the stuff we go through has a place of what? Purpose. Because when you don't see purpose in your pain, you go insane. I just made that up. I didn't mean to say that. That was a little cheesy. I didn't like how it flowed completely, but it did rhyme. So maybe someone needs that. The purpose for your pain is to not go insane. Okay, so the reality is, is that when you don't find purpose in what you're going through, you desperately need to know what the point is, where you're moving towards. And it doesn't mean that you get all the answers in the moment. It's just that I know where I'm going, who I'm going with, and that ultimately this will be redeemed. So I can go out and I can pray over this city. And I can see the brokenness. I can see the homelessness. I can see the stuff that needs to be fixed. And I can say, I have no answers in the moment. I have nothing but a broken heart. But if I don't tap into God's heart to moving it somewhere, it becomes noise. And some, a few people might appreciate your heart, but no one's going to follow you. They need to know where you're moving towards. When your heart breaks for justice, when your heart breaks for, for, for cycles of poverty to be restored, when, you're, when your heart breaks for families to be restored, when your heart breaks for, for fatherlessness or for whatever the, the, the justice need is, if you don't have some measure of understanding that I don't have all the answers, but I know that I am moving towards something and I have a history with God that says I continue to step forward in faith, with the Spirit of God on my life, I will see breakthrough. I will see measures of breakthrough. And if I don't see the fulfillment of the breakthrough that I am pushing against, I have deposited seeds for that breakthrough in my children or my spiritual children and their children and their children's children. That's the beauty. That's why the genealogy of God is so important. That's why it took generation upon generation upon generation. It's because it was never dependent on one man, one woman. It was on one family that was eternal. And the family wasn't Israel. The family was all people who were called by my name. And when we take hold of that, every battle has purpose. Every trial has purpose. Every valley of shadow of death has purpose because you don't stay there. You walk through it. It's why David sang, though I walk, because he keeps walking. He walks. You have to move. You have to move. So the takeaway today is move. Some, sometimes you just have to shift something. Maybe it's shifting your prayer. Maybe it's shifting your prayer location. Maybe it's, maybe it's shifting your friendships. Maybe it's shifting your schedule. There has to be movement. And when we feel stuck, we feel hopeless. And there is not an ounce of hopelessness in this kingdom or this gospel that we live for. Amen, somebody. Yes. Okay, so... I have no idea where I am. But the intro was all supposed to be about what are we moving towards. I think I got there somewhere. And then, and then this, this thing that Gerard, um, uh, Anna's dad, you got to read the book, Seven Stories That Shape Your Life. 
I think um, the title's on our, the, the overhead. But here's what he said about the intro. He kind of has this poetic vibe to him. He goes, be filled with the fire starter. You have a restoration story. It's the story of the gifts God has given you, the greater gifts he has for you, and his plan that you should share them with your neighbor. Mission is joining God and making the whole world new. So three things I want to point out from that. The first is be filled. Be filled with the fire starter. Filling with the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to anything we do in the kingdom. You cannot do a thing in the kingdom without the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't do a thing in his ministry without being baptized, filled, and carrying the Holy Spirit. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. He couldn't be tempted nor do a single miracle without dependence on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the absolute ongoing filling that gives us life, power, and authority to do anything of any value. It gets abused, it gets threatened, and it gets scary. And for us to cower in response to that is the absolute worst and what the enemy wants. What we have to do is to be a people that show true authenticity of what the heart of God, what the person of Jesus showed, is what we are to live in by the Holy Spirit. And when we start to do that, we can do it imperfectly, but we will not give up the pursuit of being people that live by the filling of the Holy Spirit. One more amen, please. Thank you. Okay. So that's the first thing in his little, little poetic thing, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. It's the story of God's gifts that he's given you and the greater gifts he has for you. We're all gifted, but we get a little bit psychotic at times trying to figure out our specific gifting that's better than everybody else's. It's like, I know, I know, I know, I have the Holy Spirit. I know I got all his gifts. I just want to know, what am I more gifted at than her? Is that not how we take the spiritual gifts very often? I need to know what I'm more gifted at than most of the people in the room so that I know kind of I can have an identity around my giftedness. If we can just say we all are gifted by the Holy Spirit and we're all super weird and unique, and because of that unique weirdness, the Holy Spirit comes out differently in each of us. That's ultimately what giftedness by the Spirit means. And if we would start there, then when we start shining in certain things, it's not about our identity being all jacked up. It's that we're just shining. And we embrace the way we shine a little bit weird by the Holy Spirit because he's shining through us. And he's not afraid of my unique quirkiness in the way he shines. So that's the Holy Spirit gift in this. And then finally, the sharing of the Holy Spirit. The mission is his plan that you would share with your neighbor. Mission is joining God and making the whole world new. Here's the thing. When, when, you've got, when you've got the filling, the gifting, and the sharing of the Holy Spirit, it's supernatural, and it's super, and it's natural, and it's supernatural to be sharing. When we moved in to our place, we've been the same place we moved to Pasadena four years ago. What did, what did we have immediately? We had one neighbor that was really awesome. Her name's Joy. She's sitting over there. And, and she brought us apples from her apple tree. Why? Well, because Joy is super sweet, like a sweet apple, and she's thoughtful, and she's loving, and all those things. So is the rest of her family, but it was Joy that brought them, not Gus, just Joy. <laughs> and I didn't even know, I, I haven't seen the apple since, but, but so I think, I think you have an apple tree. I don't know, maybe, maybe you got them elsewhere. But the, the point is, is that if you have a tree that bears fruit, there is always more than enough for just your family. Always. Not a single one of you. We live with, with that image constantly before us. That's right. I put that up there. You're laughing at my joke. Thank you. Uh-huh. Not a single one of us in California that has a single fruit tree doesn't understand this concept. That your fruit, I wish it would, I wish those delicious avocado trees, when you find a good one, would just slow down and then consistently give you avocados throughout the year. 
like our trucks that go back and forth from Mexico to supply our California need for avocados all year long. There's a documentary on that if you want to see it. And then, and then the, the reality is, is that, that a fruit tree, it just goes nuts and gives you way more than you need, right, when it's blooming. And in that season, you're supposed to make everything around that, and you're supposed to give it away. It's natural when your fruit is healthy that you've got more than enough to give your neighbor. In fact, you're proud to give it, and you, you take initiative to give it, and it's the most natural thing in the world. So be filled, giftedness, and sharing of the Holy Spirit is the most natural thing for the Christian to do. But, but here's the thing. When we take this on, we realize that we've got fruit. We are to bear fruit in everything we do, and we're excited to bear fruit. I want that image in your brain. Every time you see bear fruit, I thought that was a dull image in Scripture. I didn't have much life attached to this whole, I want you to bear fruit terminology. Then I saw this bumper sticker, and, and I'm like, I like that. I can't get that weird bear with that pineapple out of my head. So there you go to all of you. When you say bear fruit, it's kind of vicious. It's not like soft and like it's, it's like a, the pineapple has this like thick outer core and it's pokey. And I, I always see pineapples and I'm like, I don't know if I want to get you pineapple because I don't know what's under there. I can't feel you like you're like supposed to. And it's like you're kind of rough and it's like you take up a lot of space in my bag. But when someone has a good pineapple and it's delicious and it's like pre-cut and you can taste it and go like, I want some of that. It's amazing. And I don't even know why I'm on the pineapple thing. Just the bear. Just put that in your head. <laughs> It's amazing fruit. I highly recommend pineapple. Okay, so number one, we misunderstand God's plan. There's four keys I want to run through really quick about understanding God's restoration plan. Um, but before we do that, under, misunderstanding God's plan, I want you to turn to Mark 11. And uh, I, I want, to, I want to, to get into this concept of how, what Jesus talks about with, with bearing fruit. Because um, he always thinks differently. Mark 11, 12 to 14 says this. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, meaning it was starting to have leaves on the fig tree, not figs. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Which is, I so want to say that to every time that... When I go to the restaurant, my favorite place, and it's closed early, that, that coffee shop that closes at 4 p.m. up on Lake. May no one ever drink coffee from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Mark 11, 12 to 14. Um, so there's a little bit of, I think a lot of people just gloss over this because they're like, okay, I, I know Jesus was saying something important here, but he seems a little harsh. Um, the reality was is that um, there were two kinds of, of fruits that a fig tree could bear in the Middle East. And the, the, the dynamic was that a fig tree, it would start to, to have leaves before the figs. And so you could, he'd be walking and he'd see, okay, it's starting to leaf, this little fig tree. And it obviously isn't going to have figs yet because it's not the season for figs. But what it would have are these little nodules. Everyone say nodules. That was fun. So, so nodules would be on there. And these nodules were actually good for eating. So you could, you could kind of take the stick off and you could get like a little bit of nourishment from these nodules. So, so people that were like walking along these ancient roads would, would see these little fig plants and know, oh, it's starting to leaf. I could still get some goodness off that bad boy. I could break off a limb and get some of those nodules. However, there's also the reality that if there were no nodules, there was going to be no figs or they weren't going to be any good. And even though it was starting to blossom, they were starting to have leaves, it would mean that the tree was actually dead inside, but it was giving kind of a false facade. And then you might as well curse it because it was done. 
So what Jesus did is he essentially went ahead and called it out for its false fruit. And where, may I ask, is this little story positioned in Jesus' gospel, at least here in Mark? It's positioned on his, in between, on his way to the temple and back, where he would have a whole host of super annoying religious leaders who had form without power. And he's essentially calling out to his disciples, screw them. They're already dead. Super cool story. Jesus looks more like a bear with a pineapple in his hand at that moment. (laughs) To sum it up, I like what um, Tim Keller says. He says, remember that this happens between his first arrival at the temple and his return to the temple the next day. Jesus seizes the opportunity to provide a private, memorable object lesson, a parable against hollow religiosity with the fig tree as a visual aid. Jesus finds the fig tree not doing its appointed job. The tree became a perfect metaphor for Israel and beyond that for those claiming to be God's people but who do not bear any fruit for him. Jesus was returning to a place that was religiously very busy, just like most churches are today. Eek. Places with tasks, committees, noise, and people coming and going, lots of transactions. But the busyness contained no spirituality. I want to say, I don't think that's us. But may it never be us. Busyness without spirituality. Nobody was actually praying, those Pharisees in the temple. There are many things we do that can appear to be signs of real belief, real life, but can grow without a real heart change and without real compassionate involvement with others. Jesus is saying that he wants more than busyness. He wants the kind of character change that only comes from realizing you have been ransomed. I love that. So let's not be like the fig tree. And let's be able to tell when there's false fruit. But four keys then to God's restoration plan as we keep that, those thoughts in our mind. Number one, misunderstanding God's plan. And I, I started to mention this before, but, but um, just to make it abundantly clear. We have not been rescued to heaven. We've been, we have been rescued as the earth for heaven to invade and for evil to be broken and removed. That's a big shift. It's a massive shift. So the concept of rebuilding, and it's a really simple one. If you realize the human spirit gets this already. When a city is completely demolished, whether it's by fires or by floods or by earthquakes, people, unless, unless the, you know, the scientists are saying you literally cannot rebuild here and the government's like you can't, uh, the people will rebuild. Why? Because are they just going to say, oh, just just rescue us and take us away from here? Sometimes, sometimes, that's the secondary human motivation, is let me just get out of here. It's easier to go rebuild elsewhere. I remember in in the Reading fires, we met a number of people that that said, um, because of just the reality of not getting enough insurance or being able to go elsewhere, the population of Reading has gone down because so many people left and went and took their insurance money and rebuilt elsewhere. That happens. Why? Because... Sometimes it's, it's, just, it's just mentally easier. I'm not downing those people at all. But Reading didn't leave because of a fire. It's like the population is like maybe like a half of 1% left, right? 
they rebuilt. Why? Because they're, they're from Reading. This is our town. We're going to rebuild it. That happened in Katrina, in New Orleans, and it happens all over the place. Where it doesn't happen is you go into ancient cities where they have a major earthquake and everything crumbles and it's made of stone. And they're all freaked out because they thought God did it. So they're like, well, peace out of here because they believe it's cursed. That's when people don't rebuild. And so I think we live in a spiritual cursing ourselves where we take on the posture that what God is doing, what we're moving towards is heaven instead of heaven on earth. So if we would start to repent as a people of that mindset, if we would start to think differently of what we're a part of building here, I believe that it wouldn't be a question of what does it look like for me to bear fruit? Because bearing fruit isn't just tell my coworker about Jesus. Bearing fruit is establishing realities of heaven on earth in every opportunity I can find. So what it means is, this person next to me at work, I hear them gossiping all the time. Not about me, because we're buddies. But I hear them on the phone, or on texting. and they're, uh, You know what I do? I get weird. I take a dollop of oil, and I just anoint their desk, and I just proclaim over it when they're not there. This is a place of peace. No more gossip should happen here. This is not who this person really is. I release a blessing on them, and when I get opportunity, I start shifting them towards that and reminding them of who they are. You don't say, like, hey, you're probably going to go to hell for that gossip there, Jenny. What? I don't, that was a terrible example. <laughs> what you do is you speak life over them. You speak promises. You ask the Lord to give you the eyes to see them like he sees them, and you start to release that. I think teachers do that profoundly well. It's the most natural place on the, on the planet to do that because you have all these demoniac kids in your space, <laughs> and there's no way to survive the year if you don't ask God for, for words for them. So even, even teachers that don't know Jesus tend to do this amazingly well, or they lose their mind and quit teaching because you have to start to see these children for what their potential is instead of what they're acting out. It's the most normal thing on the planet. So this is what we're supposed to be. We have to understand that God's plan is to do something with, with this place. And when you walk through a city and you see this city, I don't want to think about Jesus taking me out of it. I want to envision what it looks like for evil to be removed and for the saints to arise and for sons and daughters to realize who they are and to start to take ground. That's what it looks like. That's number one. Number two is this. Understanding the ascension and how it's linked to Pentecost. Um, we were in Israel during Ascension, and it was really packed. And it's all the super weird Coptic Orthodox Christians that don't seem like Christians. And they dress in black, and yeah, I'll say what Ascension is. But, um, but essentially, they celebrate the Ascension, which is when Jesus went up to be with the Father at the, the end of the Gospels. And so they make it like a holiday. It's a huge ordeal. How many of you have had an Ascension party ever? I have not. Not one of you have invited me to your ascension party, and most churches don't celebrate it. It's it's related. It's how many days before Easter usually, roughly? You remember off the top of your head? I, 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 after Easter, thank you. I, I do know how Jesus had to die and resurrect first, and then ascension. Yeah, forty, not three. Yeah. So I think it's forty days after Easter is the ascension. So they're always linked. In, in the Orthodox calendar of how you celebrate the, 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 these holy days. The reality is we celebrate Easter in the Christian West, and then we kind of be like, hey, Ascension was there. And, and we don't really do much with it. It kind of fades off into the distance. But the Orthodox celebrate it, and it's a really big deal, uh, because they get the fact that what happens between Easter, Ascension, 
and Pentecost. Jesus goes beyond the throne and he says, I will send you the helper. It's better for me to go because when I do, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the helper. But go and wait for him in Jerusalem. And so this whole story is meant for us to continually remember that he left so what he could send was the same thing that was allowing him to minister in power. The Holy Spirit. And at Pentecost then, what happens is, is that the fulfillment of these promises of the sons and daughters of God arising come to the surface. And we hear Peter, he could have chosen a million different Old Testament prophecies. He read out of Joel 2. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy and blah, 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 blah. He, he, he's remembering the, the statements of old, the prophets of old, who have said over them that this is what it will be like in the last days. This Holy Spirit, this weird stuff happening where you think all these people are drunk, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. That'd be weird if they were drunk at nine in the morning, apparently, in ancient Israel. Not outside of Pi Hop. There's a few people always walking around outside of Pi Hop at 9 a.m. But the reality is, is that he's saying, what you're seeing that you don't quite understand, this is that, to use Gerard's words. This is that, that thing that Jesus promised that's going to give us the same power, authority, and goodness to go about infiltrating all of society with heaven on earth. This is that. We have to understand ascension and Pentecost. And number three, where am I? Holy Spirit, the job of the Holy Spirit. He gives gifts that enable fruit. Um, Ephesians 4, one of my, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I, I go back to it continually where it talks about the Ephesians 4 gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Very common uh, passage. We quote it a lot. The reality is all those gifts, all those leadership gifts are for a singular focus. And what is that focus? It says he gave some to be apostles, some to be pastors, some to be teachers for the equipping of the saints. All of the leadership gifts are only there so that the saints, the sons and daughters of God, can arise. If we become a church that fully embraces what God is saying over you, that every gift I give is so that you and you and you and you can arise. That's most of the battle, is us believing what he's already said and what he's already accomplished. Our verse that we post on our website, it's our core verse, is, is out of Romans 8. That all of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. The reason why that's our anchor verse is because that is ultimately what God is waiting for from his kids so that he can fulfill his purposes on this planet. That is what the church is for. And so we actually become the fruit we not only bear fruit, but we are fruit. Each one of our lives is an image of fruit. And then we get to multiply endlessly. Endlessly. Because a healthy tree, it's the most normal thing on the planet. It's to multiply and to give it away. Every time someone discovers their mission, discovers the, the way that they were called and the purposes of God to bear fruit, to bear fruit the mission of God moves forward. And remember, it's all about 
taking ground and moving forward. The ultimate loss in the Garden of Eden was the fact that they had this special garden and they were called to go beyond the garden and to subdue the rest of the earth. They could not do it because they compromised their purposes and their identity and their calling. Jesus restores and he restores us not just back to the garden, but more than before, meaning that everything that was lost, we gain it with interest. We gain it with interest. When you see someone who is broken, we all know some of these people. When you see someone who is broken, lost, their life is a mess, and they meet Jesus, do they ever go around and you're like, man, it's just such a bummer like, that they have that awesome testimony of all the stuff that Jesus did for them? And, and, and as I really wish that they would have had a more boring life and that God would never have delivered them from all that stuff so we could tell all these amazing stories. No. On the other hand, I spent most of my life wishing I had been a little bit more sinful and, and, and adventurous so that I'd have a better testimony. That's not the will of God either, but that's just my humanity because we, what happens is, is when someone is redeemed, covered, restored, equipped, released, it's, we get jealous for that because it's so good because they live every day of their life with this ongoing, easy memory reality that God has healed them, restored them, and placed them, right? And there's not a moment in their life that they don't appreciate it and walk in it, right? And that's not our goal for our kids, like to get them as jacked up as possible so they have a really good testimony. I haven't seen one parent that does that, and I don't really believe that for myself. But we don't go around going like, oh, it's just such a bummer that he has such a good testimony, or she, or whatever. It's, the reality is, is that we constantly are aware of how God restores more than before. And it's like a person that gets to walk in pain, and questioning, and heartache, and torment. In some ways, it's almost more natural, natural for them to see the extent of God's love and redemption for them. Giftedness is not hard for them to understand. They tangibly sense the gift. We can all do the same, no matter what our testimony and our background is. But we have to continually live with an awareness of our need to be filled with the Spirit of God. When we know, without any shadow of any doubt, that we only function the way that we know we can function by that Spirit, it becomes less and less natural to do it any other way. And so I want to wrap up by, by, by getting to the final point. The, the third was the job of the Holy Spirit is he gives gifts that enable fruit. And then finally, understanding kingdom and church. So the kingdom, I, I, at some point I might do a whole series on understanding the fullness of the kingdom. Jesus' core message was all about the kingdom. But in simple forms, the kingdom is, is simply, I love Gerard's terminology, it's a feast. It's why Jesus talked so much about eating. We, we talked a few weeks ago about Zacchaeus and, and him essentially being invited to dinner. Jesus was accused the most of eating with sinners. Why? Because that was so offensive in the time. When you commune with someone, 
with a feast, with a dinner, with a meal. You're essentially laying out a banquet and saying, I want to eat from the same table. There's camaraderie, there's friendship, there's some kind of acknowledgement that you have value. And everything in their culture, in their context says, that person far from God does not have value, is sinful, and needs to be cut off and punished. And Jesus came to show them a completely different reality of the father that they've all missed the entire time. And he shows that most completely at the banqueting table. And so the kingdom is essentially this feast. And the church, we don't understand often how the church and the kingdom interact. The church is the delivery mechanism. The church is the engine. The church is how you deliver the feast. So have you ever seen someone that gets really passionate about their kingdom work? And they've got this great... Um, whether it's a business idea or justice idea or ministry idea, and they get burnt out. Why? Because there's no engine to sustain it long term. The church is that place of community, of purpose, of life-giving reality that sustains something and brings people into an engine room to deliver the feast and the banqueting table. At the same time, have you seen churches that do nothing but eat together and they get super, super obese? And inbred and all, the, and all the weird stuff that happens when you don't get outside and take your feast to the place you're supposed to. The church can be just as weird. And the reality is that the kingdom and the church are these two pictures that are meant to work in unison to do all the bearing of fruit and to make the earth smell like heaven, look like heaven, taste like heaven. And we get to partake in that. I know I need to, I need to land. Okay, so that's the kingdom and the church. And finally, um, man, I've bounced around a lot. I think I've, I've covered most of what I want to do. I just want to make sure that I land on this, this single point. I want us to be hungry together for more. I want, I want every time we, we come to the presence of God, if you're in a place today where, you know what, I, I just need a touch from God because I'm so dry, just be real with that reality and take that and trust that he will touch you. And if you don't have faith for that, that's what we're here for. But I also want us to, to stand on the reality that we're not meant to be a dry people that are just begging for a drop of cold water on a hot day. We're people that expect there to be a constant filling of the more of God by the power of the Spirit. And that we're constantly asking God, how do I bring the Holy Spirit into more? Because if we are all on the same page, that we are called to bear fruit, and that there is more than before, then we need to have the conviction that we can and that we need to come up with solutions to say, okay, how do I bring the Holy Spirit more into my places of influence? How do I do it more in the gym? How do I do it more into my places of music, into my hobbies, into my golfing, into, into my workplace, into the, my kids' school, into my neighborhood? How do, I, how do I bring the fragrance? Holy Spirit, I need ideas. Because it has to be more than just sharing a message. It has to be it has to be everything that I get access to that bears fruit. I believe that, that what Jesus is trying to get at is the bearing of fruit 
has to be more than you just sharing a two-line thing about some kind of message that he carries. It has to do more than that. Uh, the studies all show that, that no one comes in to an encounter with Jesus apart from relationship with other human beings. Now, we had the most amazing time at Alpha. The, this, we had our Alpha retreat yesterday. Now, my favorite moment, I sent it out in the email. Um, we had some amazing moments yesterday. But my favorite moment throughout the evenings of Alpha are two guys making dinner that I didn't know two months ago. They got there before everybody else. One's making Thai food, a guy from Thailand. And another one's making mold wine. Sorry if that offends you. Holiday mold wine. They didn't know each other before Alpha. And yet in the, in the place of relationship, we're, they're here wanting to be a part of this little micro community where, where we still don't see necessarily eye to eye on things. And my goal isn't for them to pray a prayer. My goal is to deliver a feast. And when your goal is to deliver a feast, people will often start eating before they understand what this is that you're putting before them. <laughs> as long as it looks good. So how do we do this thing of bringing the Holy Spirit into more. I want us to stand and to respond and to ask for some creative shifting going on. Worship team can come up as well. Close your eyes, put your hands in front of you or on your heart or on your head or wherever you want to put your hands. And just start asking the Lord, how do I bring you, Holy Spirit, into more of my life, more of my personal life, more of my work life, more of my family life, more of my creative life? Some of you are artists that just aren't getting breakthrough into your creative unctions, and you need, you need Holy Spirit. You don't need another artist. You don't need another, another inspiration from the world. Sometimes you just need the Holy Spirit to stir something that's already been deposited in you. Give us creative solutions for everything that's holding us in a heavy place. Jesus doesn't want your busyness. He cursed that fig tree, and I curse busyness from us. I say we'll be a people in this culture of busyness that will reject everything that pulls us from the rhythms of heaven. False fruit will not define this family. Healthy fruit, healthy trees, and sometimes that means pruning. And we invite you to prune us, to, to trim us back where we need to so that we can be healthy. And thank you that we can only do that when we surrender our hearts in a posture of trust and safety. I think that this is a community that's, that's about going after that again and again and again, as often as it takes. And to expect, to expect change, to expect shifts. Sometimes we just have to shift. We have to move. So our declaration today is to move forward. And I declare over my own life, my family's life, and my friends here in this room that we will shift where we need to shift. Show us what steps we need to take. M maybe they're backwards. Maybe they're to the side. <laughs> and
And I love how the, the team in France did this exercise, these four movements with us that I think Lana Maria will put up on, this, on the screen. And I, I've done this a few weeks ago. We want to do it one more time. Remind each other that there's, there's significant actions that I want us to spiritually take together. One is to move, move out. Second is join in. Third is look up. And fourth is take hold. These are all movements that require us to position our feet, our eyes, our hearts, and our voices. As we respond in worship, visualize where you need to move your posture. Some of it might be super practical. Maybe you need to start spending time with the Lord at a different time of day. Reposition where you spend your time. Some of you need to, to, to move offices because the, the place your office is located and you have the ability to do it is in, a, is in the wrong area and you just need to move. Some of you need to adjust, meet with your spouse and say, hey, we need to adjust our schedule because I'm, I, I need this and I, I'm willing to give up this so that we can prioritize this. Where do you need to move? Your heart never ceases to amaze me how often my heart needs to be readjusted. I need to surrender again. We invite you as you respond in worship. Take stock in where your heart is. Are you fully surrendered to joining the Spirit in the restoration of all things? Are you resisting or calloused or hard? or doubting, or fearful. Hand them your heart. Let them show you his. Where are your, where are your eyes gazing? Are we navel gazing at the, the realities before us? And that's fine. If you've got a problem or an obstacle today, I want you to put it before you. Never deny a problem its existence. Deny it its place of influence on your life. Look up. Let the Lord's eyes meet yours so he can show you a new perspective to confront that problem. And finally, take hold. Put it on your lips this morning. Make the decrees over yourself and over one another of life, of hope, of peace, of restoration. Take the opportunity today to say, some of you just finally are gonna be willing to admit, okay, I'm angry at you, God. I haven't been able to say it because I know I'm not supposed to be. Maybe your worship today is admitting where you're at. Put it on your lips. Maybe you just need to praise him for the breakthrough. We need you to praise him for your breakthroughs. Every time we gather, there should be those rejoicing in breakthrough and those agonizing in defeat and those holding up their questions. And we do it without offense from one another, knowing that we need this place in order for us to keep stepping forward. We thank you for that privilege today, Father.